In the previous message, we started a discussion of measuring the city and I'll want to continue now. In that message, I focused on the function of the Elohim, which is one of the meanings of the name of God that is associated with rendering righteous judgments. And we looked at how God has historically done that amongst the nations of mankind. God not only judges the wicked and their judgments are following their judgments are the kinds of punitive results that show the absolute displeasure and disfavor of God. God is not mocked. He will give to every man, He will give to every nation according to their words and deeds. If nations retain God in their knowledge, then God will have mercy on them. And when persons retain God in their knowledge, uh, God will work with them and select even from amongst them a people for His possession. But God also rewards the righteous. And there is this matter of the measurement of the righteous so that they they are moved beyond the pale of the accuser of the brethren. No darkness is in this realm um, and amongst the people of God there is no darkness. No one is ashamed of being in the presence of God. The former things indeed would have passed away. I want to show you though that judgment, I want to show you further that judgment of eternal things is a constant with God, not just judgment of natural things. The seasons of judgment are meant to establish for us both what is yet uh, to be accomplished and what has been accomplished. So even as it says the angel came with a golden rod and measured the city, um, here again in the book of Revelation, in context of two witnesses, two olive trees, we see the measurements of God applied. In the book of Revelation, the 11th chapter, and we've talked about this before, I'm just pulling it forward into the 21st chapter. Ten chapters later, he emphasizes a different and more complete rendering of judgments. But in the process there is judgment to remind us to keep on track, to remind us that God is not slack concerning His promises. The things of God do not wax and wane. They move forward inexorably until their final renditions are fully realized. It's only a fool who does not retain God in his knowledge. It's only a fool who is wise in his own eyes. God judges the heart. 
God judges. God is the judge for a good reason. He continuously judges matters to give us, as it were, a heads up on where we are in the process. So it's imperative to know what is the original intent. We must keep that always before our faces. In fact, the type and shadow of that is when God had Israel uh, write scripture on little scraps of, of papyrus and tie it upon their foreheads and upon their right hands, phylacteries they were called, so that they would be constantly reminded of the original mandates of God. In the same way, God writes upon the forehead of the saints the name of the Father, while the devil writes on the foreheads and on the right hands of people the names of the beast. All these things are, they're more than breadcrumbs along the journey. They're things that are highly significant to tell us by looking at them, by observing them, to tell us where we are in the process. And for the righteous, to be shown where things are is critical to course correction, to repentance, to realigning one's mindset to the things of God. So here in the 11th chapter of the book of Revelation, we have such an intermediate judgment at a critical juncture in the unfolding of eternal things on the earth to tell us not to lose our vision, not to lose our concentration, not to water down the standard as is the manner of some. If you like not to forsake, if you like not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. That doesn't have a thing to do with church meetings on Sundays. That has to do with maintaining the standards that have been imparted to you, nurtured in you, until the day of the when all those things matter. When, when the fullness of it takes on the form of divine judgments, measurements with golden reeds and such. But here, John was speaking and he said, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. So he's specific. The reed there is like a measuring rod. And the intent, and it's the same word by the way, kalamos, K-A-L-A-M-O-S. Uh, and it's like a, a measuring rod, a rabdos, R-A-B-R-H-A-B-D-O-S, rabdos. She was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. Now this is in heaven. He's saying, and, and of course it's, it's a type and shadow that references back to 
the temple in Jerusalem, which coincidentally would have been destroyed by now. So it's not a reference to what's on earth at the time, but a reference to the historicity of the temple in Jerusalem as it appears or as it corresponded now to the body of Christ seen in heaven. So he says, Then I was given a reed, a measuring rod. The angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. As I said, the temple in Jerusalem by now had been destroyed. In the words of Jesus Himself, not one stone was left upon another that was not thrown down. This was not a future reference to a rebuilding of the temple, since indeed the temple of God, as referenced here, the altar is the naos, N-A-O-S, naos. That is different from an altar or a temple in which a god was worshipped. The naos is quite literally the dwelling place of God. Therefore, the last part of it makes perfect sense, and those who worship there. So this is speaking of the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, of course, at that point in the progression of the book of Revelation, is in both heaven and earth. So the measurement of those who are in heaven and the measurement of those who are on the earth is the same. One is measuring the dwelling place of God, then that's the key, measuring the dwelling place of God, which is the temple of God. Now, we know, we know that with the advent of Christ, the old temple was destroyed. Or the, the, well, first, the Holy of Holies was decommissioned because this curtain between the Holy of Holies, wherein was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, where blood was sprinkled, where heaven and earth met, where the promise of God was typified in the box, uh, and so on. I've already dealt with this in great detail before. Go back and look and listen to the passage of the teachings around the 11th chapter and you will have the completeness of the reference there. I won't repeat those things now. Um, God tore the veil. I'm told that the veil was probably, it was a woven veil that was probably 60 feet high and it was torn in two from top to bottom. And it was not a flimsy gossamer curtain. It was probably as thick 
as, um, I don't know if some of you will remember what a phone book was, but it, was, it had uh, many, many pages and it was, uh, uh, you know, thousands of pages and difficult to tear, several inches thick, if you like. Um, God decommissioned that representation of the presence of God by tearing it and making access. He was showing by the tearing of the veil that the physical had given way to the spiritual because the veil was always uh, until, the veil existed always until the coming of the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, because the Father and I are one. We can look upon Christ and when we are in Christ, we can behold the Father. No man comes to the Father but by me. So what was a physical representation became the person of Christ in whom the assembled body is presented to God as Father, that is the naos of God, Christ is the temple and the body of Christ is that dwelling place. That's why I brought you back here to see that the measuring of the city in Revelation 21, the measuring of its walls or its walls, excuse me, its gates and its wall and the structure of all of that are representations of the many facets of the Lord Jesus Christ in whom the Father dwelt, where God Almighty dwells and in which Christ also dwelt and we in Christ dwell in the Father and the Son. That's according to Jesus. We have in mind and we insist on having in mind a physical city when what he's describing is the exactitude of the eternal being of God who now holds all things in His being. What difficulty would there be for God when the eternal comes into the natural, when the heavenly is emptied out and takes on not just the form of the heavenly but it takes on the form of the eternal? Where, where are we to dwell? We dwell in the secret place of the Most High. The Most High is our dwelling. We still see ourselves in a human form when we've been resurrected or changed into the glory of the form suitable for this time. We do not yet know what we shall become but we do know this, that when we shall see Him we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. 
Yes, I understand that we love the comfort of the familiar and we are stretched by the thoughts of the unfamiliar. God does not intend to leave us bound up in the strictures of our natural thoughts about the things of God. God means to stretch us because only in that are we going to see with greater accuracy the things that are presently invisible. Now, verse 2 of this reading says, this is from Revelation 11 verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple, do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months and I will give power to my two witnesses and they shall prophesy for one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. So we see the interplay between heaven and earth here because the prophecy is not yet fulfilled though those who are secured in God are measured, weighed and judged and they are not going to experience the condemnation, they have been passed from death to life, they are given a permanent standing, these same ones will be given a white stone with a new name, a new identity. So the times of these judgments are to establish where things are on the line of progression to the final things we are looking at now in the book of Revelation chapter 21. At this point in in Revelation 11, those are sealed in heaven and on earth who are the dwelling place of God and everyone else is neither, uh, is outside of the temple, they are not part of the dwelling place of God and they are considered like in in the days when the physical temple existed in Jerusalem and by the way, by now in the history of these things, the physical temple has been destroyed. So he's referencing a spiritual reality called the court of the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers and they will wage war on the saints and it goes down to talk about the two olive trees and the two lampstands which of course are references to the book of Zechariah which speak of two olive trees and two lampstands and the golden oil in the golden bowls supplying the the lampstand. These two are not two individuals, they are the twin anointing of the king and the priest, clear from the book of Zechariah. These are the sons of oil if you like as Zechariah says, the anointed ones and the context is that of a crown in Zechariah, a crown being made out of silver and gold. Normally a crown is given 
to a prince. And in that time, there were two who were typified in these twin eternal roles. One was Zerubbabel, who was the prince, and the other was Joshua, who was the priest. Joshua is the Old Testament name for Jesus. To whom do you suppose the crown was given? The crown was given to Joshua, the priest, because he is the order of Melchizedek, the royal priesthood. That's the two witnesses, the king and the priest, typified by the anointing, the olive trees, and the lampstand, the administration. And this is what happens again in Revelation 21. There is no night because the Lamb is the light, He's the lampstand. And this entire uh, uh, city is the dwelling place of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has reduced and subdued all enemies. Look at the progression of the symbols throughout Scripture. They're unmistakable. If you can't see these things, I warrant you, you, you have eyes to see but don't see. You have ears to hear but don't hear because you only want to see what you want to see, what you've already decided, and you only want to hear what you want to hear. But the Scriptures tell us that men of understanding would come in the last days and to them would be given the knowledge of the secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven. The knowledge of the secrets of the Kingdom of Heaven are how the Kingdom of Heaven has started as a seed and progressed all the way to the dwelling place of God. Because what will happen in the end? In the end, Jesus hands up the Kingdom to the Father and God becomes all in all. This is what's being described in the 21st chapter and the first part of the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation. The, the thousand year period is to establish God's inheritance and finalize the training of those who have been select of the whole earth while punishing and bringing to an end all those who practice evil and deceit, who have been led by Satan and to judge those who existed on the earth before that time by resurrecting them from the dead to be judged. It's not so difficult to understand these things. It's only if we have this mindset that, quote, heaven holds all for me. Heaven has its place. It was created to have a place, which is to include hosting 
the spirits and souls of the righteous until these further times had come and the unpacking and unveiling of what was beyond heaven, beyond death and heaven, would come. And these are the things. So inevitably, you have to have judgments. And I, I just went on to show you how these two witnesses, they aren't two human persons. They are the compendium of the divine standard. Kings and priests, the kingly function being the ruling function, the priestly function being the representational function. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church at this time in the history of things. Let's go back now to the book of Revelation and and my point is that everything has to be judged. Judgment is not always about condemnation and, and destruction. Judgment at times, and certainly for the righteous, is to unveil the finished work of God as revealed in those who have been perfected in and through the person of Christ. The reason we are put in the body of Christ is because He is the standard to which we are going to be uh, aligned. And the alignment is exact, as He is, so shall we be in this present world. We are to be exactly aligned to Him as the standard in nature, character, function, revelation, understanding, power, identity, all of who He was. So are we in this present world. That's why He came incarnate, to be an attainable standard to us, to show us the way. That's why He is the way. That's why He is the truth. That's why He's the life. And those of us who then come to that standard are also revealed with Him as the way, the truth, and the life. That's why you won't see Him again until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, uh, to set up the rest of it, its walls and its, its wall and its gates. The measurement of the city is 12 times 12 times 1,000. That's where we want to go when we come back. The number 12 is the number of government. In heaven, there are 24 elders because it's 12 times 2, because the kingdom's dominion is over both heaven and earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Two realms, same governmental form. That's why the type and shadow of it is 12 tribes, 
to the nation of Israel, 12 apostles to the Lamb. That's why they come back as gates and a wall with 12 foundations. We talked about that before, that these are how the Word of God progresses from the earliest stages of the law given to the 12 sons, the tribes of the 12 sons of of Jacob, to the interpretation of the law into a new covenant administrated by the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of that covenant, and distributed initially the word of this covenant, distributed by the Holy Spirit through twelve vessels. Everything that represents the finality of these manifestations are the ways that they existed in their prior forms. Let's look deeper when we come back. I'm Sam Solon. I'll see you then. Bye now.